0: The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. When when Pastor Nick asked if I'd be willing to share, I I was really excited because I love the series Once Upon a Time, and, and the idea behind it really is to look at the stories of biblical characters and to see what are the lessons that we can draw out of their lives. So it's a little bit less topical and it's more focused on um, really just kind of reading through a whole section of the Bible. And and when he first asked me if there was a character that stuck out in my mind, um, I immediately answered Job. And this started a, a couple months ago. Um, me and Pastor Aaron, we do a weekly podcast called Let's Read the Bible. So there's my shameless plug. You should check it out. Um, my parents say it's really good. But we did an episode about the book of Job, and we did some research, and it's it's stuck with me for, for months now. Um, I've been reading it and rereading it. I I bought some commentaries just to kind of the, I don't know, the, the themes and the questions that Job asks, I think are really applicable today. And in fact, I think that Job is one of the most beautiful books of the Bible. Um, but with all of that poetic beauty that it has, the, the questions that at the end of it, you get nailed down to truly are some of the most applicable things that we can talk about today. So we're going to dive in in a second, but I want to take a couple seconds just to first off pray um, and also take a moment to thank Pastor Nick um, and, and really the entire pastoral staff here at the Grove Church. I've been up here for about 10 years now, so it's been a long time. Um, I moved here when I was 17, um, and I'll be the first to admit I haven't been the easiest guy to love or to invest in, um, but but truly, I, I wouldn't be where I am today, um, and I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for the investment of, of Pastor Nick and, and the entire pastoral team. So I truly am grateful uh, for this opportunity and for everything that they've done. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, I just thank you so much that we're able to continue to gather, uh, even in the midst of everything that is going on. I thank you that we have been able to learn more about you, learn more about your grace, learn more about your truth. And I pray that today that you would just make the words that I speak your own, that I wouldn't be speaking my words, that I'd be speaking yours. I pray that you would open the hearts and the minds of everyone here uh, to hear more about your grace, your truth, and your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So once upon a time, there was a man named Job. And Job was incredibly wealthy. If you read the first few chapters of the book, it's listing off Job's wealth, but it's not in gold or money like wealth today is measured. Back then, wealth was really measured by land and the amount of livestock that you had on the land. So when you're reading, it'll say, Job was super wealthy and he had this many camels and this many donkeys and this many oxen. Like it kind of goes through that and it makes very clear that Job is the wealthiest person around. Job also has an incredible family. He has a wife and 10 children, which was an incredible blessing to him. And we we know that he loves his family because the Bible even talks about how he would make sacrifices, not just for himself, but he'd also make sacrifices for his children. Um, Even if he didn't know they had sinned, he's just like, well, maybe they sinned. And so he's offering sacrifices for them. Like Job clearly cares a ton about his family. And most importantly, Job is described as a man who loves God and turns away from evil. And in fact, in the the first few chapters of the book, it says that Job is the greatest of all the people of the East, which is an insanely high compliment. And for all intents and purposes, Job is living the perfect life, or at least as perfect as a life as you can live on this side of eternity. And then one day, everything changed. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, we get to listen in on a conversation between God and Satan. And it says this in verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And and in these verses, we get are first hints at what I'm going to call the, the, the great lie of the book of Job. And, and when I say that, I don't mean that the book itself is, is pushing the lie. What I mean to say is that almost every character in the book believes the lie that morality is entirely linked to circumstance. Or or to put it another way, almost every character believes the lie that how good of a person you are is entirely connected to how good your life is or how good your life will be. And we see it with Satan here. When, when God is kind of bragging on Job, Satan says, of, of course Job loves you because you've given him everything. He has this perfect life with this perfect family, and he's super wealthy. But if you would let me just chip away at the things that you have given him, he will curse you to your face. And, and God basically says, okay, you're on. And that's how we get one of the most tragic days that we've ever heard of in human history because Job is, Job is out and then servant after servant comes up to him and says that raiders have come and taken away his livestock. And as if that wasn't enough, another servant comes and he says, Job, all 10 of your children were eating in a building and a great windstorm came and knocked it over. The building collapsed and, and all of your children died. And I, I think that one of the great mistakes that we can make when we're reading the Bible is not, is not taking the time to stop and pause and reflect on, on what's actually happened. To, to, to put the day that Job just had in, into modern context, it would be like if you lost your life savings, you lost your job, you lost all the cash you had on hand, and then you got a phone call that your house burned down and that all of your children were inside. The pain that Job would have been feeling here is immeasurable. But to Job's credit, he does not curse God. In fact, he says, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. And eventually Satan doesn't just attack the things around job Satan attacks job himself and he gets these horrible sores and boils that appear all over his skin and and the book says that job is in so much pain that he would he would break pots and take the shards of pottery and he he would scrape at his arms just just to relieve just to relieve the tension just to relieve the the pain and the, the discomfort that he's constantly feeling and it's in this moment that job's wife says one of the Probably the most famous lines of the book. She she t- tells Job, "Just curse God and die. Just look look around you, Job. It's it's gone. The family's gone. Our our wealth is gone. This this God that that you've served your whole life has taken it away. Just curse him and be done with it. And it, it's here that." the book and the story really begin to pick up. See, Job has three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and they hear about what has happened to Job, and so they come to comfort him. And, and this is really the, the meat of the book. Job is about 42 chapters, and 28 or 29, depending on how you mark it, are, are taken up with these poetic discussions between Job and his friends. And the first poem opens up with Job lamenting the day of his birth. He, he's he's basically saying, you know, God, God if, if this was the life that, that you had for me, if, if what was going to happen is that I would have happiness and then it would all get, get ripped away in an instant, it would have been better if I just died on the day of my birth. Why did you let me live this full life if, if I was just going to experience this much pain? Like Job is just laying bare bear the the pain that he is feeling to his friends. He's just letting it all out. And then Job's first friend, Eliphaz, speaks. And I think that Eliphaz really sets the tone for all of the discussions of the friends. In in Job chapter 4, verses 3 through 9, he says this, Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who is stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember, who that was innocent ever perished, or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish and by a blast of his anger, they are consumed. So Eliphaz starts off very complimentary of Job. He says, like, you, you've you used your wealth and you've used your wisdom to help others, but then... Eliphaz reveals that he too believes the lie of the book. When he says, is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember, who that was innocent ever perished or where were the upright cut off? What he's saying is that, Job, look at your life. Clearly, if your life is this way, then you are not a man who loves God and turns away from evil. And, and this starts off this, this cycle of Job's friends will accuse him and Job will come back and he'll defend his honor and he'll say, I I don't understand what could have happened. And, And you can hear his friends saying, surely this pain would not come to such a good person and Job will say I I don't know what I've done but here's the thing his friends know they they just know that Job is hiding something because no man who loves God and turns away from evil would have this much pain enter into his life and it just keeps going and going for chapter after chapter until Job finally just gets exasperated and he declares "What, what miserable comforters you all are or or in other words you're supposed to be my friends you're, you're supposed to comfort me you're supposed to give me life and instead you're just accusing me and accusing me and and you just feel the pain and the brokenness that Job is feeling in this moment and then we see that Job is not just exasperated with his friends, he's also exasperated with his perceived silence of God in this situation. And in Job 31, 35, he says, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Job is demanding that God would answer him. He's actually using language like a court of law. He's calling God his adversary, and he's saying, God, come down and explain to me why you're doing what you're doing. And what what Job is revealing here is that he too believes the lie of the book. He's saying, you know, I, I, I'm righteous. I, I've never neglected sacrifice. I sacrifice for myself. I sacrifice for my kids. I, I made a covenant with my eyes to never look lustfully at anyone else. I, I used my wealth and I used my wisdom to, to help the poor and to help others, to, to help them get through. And, and yet this is the way that my life turns out. No, I, I don't deserve this. You're wrong is what, God, is what, jo, is what Job is saying to God. And after all of this happens, we're, we're introduced to the final human character of the book. And it says in Job 32, 2-5, Then Elihu, the son of Barakel, the buzite of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, he burned with anger. And Elihu goes um, just completely scorched earth on every human character that we've met so far. He he turns to Job's three friends and he says, How how dare you accuse your friend of sin with absolutely no proof? How dare you not believe your friend when he tells you that there he doesn't know what would have happened? And you can kind of hear Job in the background saying, like, Yes, thank you. And then Elihu whips around and he says, And you, Job, how dare you defend your honor instead of God's? And what Elihu is, is revealing in these moments is that all of Job's arguments were that he was righteous and that God was wrong. And this goes on for, for quite a few chapters. Elihu's just, he, he kind of monologues, he's one of those guys. Um, and then eventually, God himself would answer. Now, when I was, when I was younger, I, I got in trouble a lot um, for being what my parents lovingly referred to as, as a smart aleck all the time. Um, and I remember a, a lot of conversations with my dad where he would say, you know, Evan, you really need to stop being so sarcastic because, you know, it's off-putting and, and you're going to have trouble making friends and people don't like it. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, he was probably right. And I should, I should work on that a little bit more. But, um, but there is a time and a place for sarcasm. And in the final chapters of Job, um, God himself gives an absolute masterclass in how to ask rhetorical questions. In Job 38, 1-7, it says this, "'Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, "'Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge?' Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Skipping ahead to verse 16, he says, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses Of the deep, have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know this. And this goes on for for quite a while. And Job eventually puts his hands literally over his mouth and he says, I'm I'm sorry, I should have never questioned you. I repent. And in one of my favorite passages of the Bible, God picks Job back up and, and and he says, no, we're not finished yet. And he goes in for another two chapters of just asking Job question after question after question. And, and to bring it kind of in, in, into modern language, essentially what, Job, what God is saying is this, like, oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Job, since you know so much about how I should govern the world, tell me, where were you when I commanded the universe to exist and it obeyed? Where were you when I took dust from the earth and I made man? Because you know so much about the way your life should be and the way that I should rule. Surely you must have been here from the beginning if you express to have such wisdom. And, and I think one of the important things to keep in mind with, with God's answer is that he, he never once tells Job Why? Job's asking for answers, and God could have easily said, Job, the reason that you're suffering is for my glory and to demonstrate that you truly are a righteous man who loves me and turns away from evil, and the story that is happening right now is going to help millions upon millions of people walk through grief of their own one day. God could have easily said that, but he never does. And in fact, all of, the, all of the questions that God is asking Job are, are questions of perspective. They're questions of what is Job's perspective. And one of the advantages of, of living in the time that we do is, is we don't just have the book of Job. We have the entirety of scripture to look at. And so I think I think when we're when we're walking through pain, there's there's two important perspectives that we as Christians have to keep. Um, and the the first one's not really fun to hear, so I'll start there, and then we'll get to the other one. Um, the first perspective is this: we don't deserve anything. Every good thing, every joy, every happiness is a gift from God that should remind us of God's incredible grace and love for us not of our own righteousness And I, I hear the word deserve it gets thrown out a lot right like when we have things that we don't want or we don't have things that we want either way we, we say you know, I deserve this or I don't deserve this but, but, in, but in Romans we know that the wages of sin is death or in other words what we deserve for sin is, is death and hell so in that sense, thank thank God we don't get what we deserve. And one of the reasons that Job is, is so unhappy is, and, and this is just my conjecture onto the book, it doesn't say this explicitly, but I think one of the reasons Job is so unhappy is because he views his perfect life not as a gift from God, but as something that he earned. Our second perspective as Christians to keep in mind is that our ultimate hope is in our relationship with God. When when Eliphaz says, "Is not your integrity your hope?" As as Christians, that's not true. And that's not to say we shouldn't strive to live a life of integrity. We absolutely should. That's not to say we shouldn't strive uh, to, to, to love God and run from evil. We absolutely should. That's, that's the calling of, of sanctification. But our hope is not in what we have done. Our hope is in what Jesus has already done. Our hope is that Jesus has lived the perfect, sinless life that we could never live, that he died the death that we deserve to die, and that because of his death and resurrection, we can have a relationship with God, we can have forgiveness and our purpose in God. That is our hope. Job's hope was in his own righteousness. Our hope as Christians is in Christ's righteousness. Our hope through every pain is that when we rest in God's love and grace everything one day will be made whole maybe not on this side of eternity but 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 one day i i love in in revelation 21 where where God promises to wipe away every tear and and the great Hope The great things that we look forward to as a Christian is that one day, on the other side of eternity in the presence of God, all of the the, the pain, all of the suffering, all of the, the the death of this life will just be faint shadows in the past compared to the overwhelming glory of the light of god that's our that's our hope, and that 's where I want to end. Today's message. I want to end it on a note of hope because that's how the book of Job actually ends. After God's, um, after God's admittedly harsh treatment of Job. He he kind of switches tones, and I love that he rebukes Job's three friends. And there's there's a part where he's he sends Job's three friends away, and then he says, "Oh, and and by the way, Job's gonna sacrifice for you, and because of that, I'm gonna forgive you." Which is just a it's just a great line, um, kind of hinting at the the type of man that Job is. And then God restores Job. His wealth is brought back. He has a new family, and, and once again, Job gets to live his his perfect life, at least on this side of eternity. But I would, I would guess, and again, this is just my conjecture, but I, I would guess that Job now has a completely different perspective and he views this life not as something that he's earned, but rather as a gift that has come from God. And the book ends um, with one of the most fitting lines that I can imagine. In Job 42.17, which is the last verse of the book, It says, and Job died an old man and full of days. Or as I suppose it could be said, and Job lived happily ever after, even to the end of his days. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your love and your gospel and your peace and your truth. I pray that for, for all of us as we're, as we're all walking through different levels of suffering, as we're all walking through different levels of pain, I pray that we would be able to keep our relationship with you in perspective. I pray that we would be able to keep... I pray that we wouldn't be trusting in our own righteousness, that, but, but that we would be trusting in yours. And I pray that your peace would be with every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple a couple quick announcements before we leave. Uh, this one's really important, so I'm going to say it first so I don't forget. Um, next week is July 5th, the day after Independence Day, and we will actually be paring down to two services. So next week, um, we're just doing the 9.45 and the 11 o'clock. We're not doing the 8.30, and we're not doing the 12.15. So if you come out at 8.30, I'll be here setting up cameras but you'll, you'll have a while to wait so don't come till 945 um, or the 11 if you're feeling adventurous whichever one um, and then also we, we just thank you so much for continuing to be faithful um, both in attending and also in giving um, and so if on your way out there's places where you can drop the connect card if you're new we'd love to meet you if you have a prayer request we'd love to be praying for you and you can also drop your giving envelopes there uh, in addition if you're watching online there's links that you can click both on Facebook and the online platform where you can give online and also fill out the online connect card. And then finally, uh, do us a favor, just, you know, take it easy on when you're driving out. Uh, make sure you're obeying traffic laws. Uh, our neighbors are being very gracious with us during this time, but we want to make sure that we're not um, doing anything to make them mad. So thank you so much, Grove Church. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.